Church, uh, this morning, uh, we are continuing in our sermon series on the Proverbs. And uh, thus far in our series, we've basically uh, been instructed by the wise father who is teaching his son that there are two ways in which you can walk in life. There's a way uh, of wisdom and there's the way of folly. There's the way that leads to life and there's the way that leads to death. And we've been instructed by this wise father and not to be enticed by sinners into sin. Don't walk in the way of the fool, he told him. Don't go down the path that leads to death. Instead, he has instructed them that they should seek wisdom and, and pursue the path of life. Last week, we were reminded why we should seek the path of life, because of how valuable it is. It's like a precious uh, jewel, a hidden treasure, uh, a, a, an invaluable metal, right? Like silver and gold. Um, it's so valuable because of the way that it protects our life. And so we're told to seek the way of life, to, to give everything to go for it, because what we get back from it and its protection over our lives is worth it. That's what we've talked about up to this point in this series. And today that exhortation continues uh, to seek the way of wisdom. But this week we're going to talk about why we should seek the way of wisdom even when we don't understand it. Why would we follow God's way of wisdom even when we can't comprehend it or even when we might not agree with it? That's what we're going to be talking about this week. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to Proverbs chapter 3. As we talk about following God's way of wisdom, even when we don't understand why. And what we see in this passage is that in the first four verses, we have a bit of a, of a repeated recap. It's a refrain we've heard a number of times in, the, in, in Proverbs so far. Uh, as the father urges his son once again to not forsake his teaching because it will serve him well in his life. And then in verse five, we come to what is one of the most famous and beloved verses in all of the Bible where we read trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. For it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And what the father is telling his son in this passage is to follow the ways of the Lord even when you don't understand them. Walk in the path that God lays out for you even when you don't comprehend why God is telling you to do what he is telling you to do. Follow the commands of the Lord and the instructions of the Lord even when you don't like what God may be telling you to do, even when you may adamantly disagree with what God is telling you to do, even when that is the case, 
The wise father is telling his child, you should do it anyway. Why? Because it's good for you. Because it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, verse 8 says. It is always the right thing to trust in the Lord and to walk in His ways. And this instruction to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and not to lean on your own understanding, in this instruction, there are two components of that exhortation that I want to highlight and try to briefly explain for us this morning. The first aspect of this exhortation is that uh, when we come to the wisdom of God, to His commandments, to His instructions, to His guidance for our lives, we are not to lean on our own understanding. Or as it says in verse 7, we are not to be wise in our own eyes. The wise father is basically telling us not to trust ourselves. In our judgments about what is right and wrong, in our determinations about what is good and what is bad, in our decisions about which path will lead to our flourishing in life. In any and all of these types of decisions, we are not to trust ourselves. And this exhortation to not trust ourselves, it isn't a one-off mistake, like an accidental typo in the Scriptures. This exhortation and warning is repeated for us throughout the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, we are told that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Or Proverbs 21, 2, which warns that every way of man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. These Proverbs are all warning us that often we may think we know what is right. We may think that we know what is best. We may think we know what will bring good into our lives. But we are often wrong. And the reason that's the case is because our hearts are the primary driver of every decision that we make. We make decisions from our heart and not from our minds. We like to believe that we are thinking people. right? Ever since the Enlightenment, philosophers have been telling us that we can use our minds to reason and to make right choices. But that's not how we as human beings work. As evidenced by the fact that hundreds of years after the Enlightenment, we're no closer to a utopian society than we were beforehand. All of our enlightened thinking hasn't made us better, more moral, better judging people. In fact, we might could argue the opposite. For instead, what theologians from the early church up to the present day have taught is that we are primarily worshiping people, not thinking people. And that it is the heart which is the seat of our decision making and not our minds. Thomas Cramner, who's the English reformer that started the Anglican church, is summarized as saying that what the heart wants, the will chooses... And the mind 
justifies. What he's saying that what he is saying is that what we love above all else is what we are going to choose to go after, and our mind is going to justify us in our choice, whatever it may be. And the problem with the heart being the center of our decision making, and the reason that we cannot trust it, is because in our sin nature, but we are born with hearts that love ourselves over and above everything else in the world, including God. That's why, if if left to ourselves, we will always love those things that make us feel good and right about ourselves. Even if it harms others, and even if it leads us away from God and from His ways. And for this reason, our hearts cannot be trusted. Have you ever heard the biblical assessment of the human heart? In Genesis chapter 6... As God looked out over mankind after their fall into sin, his assessment was that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. This is why the prophet Jeremiah wrote that the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? In our sin, our hearts have bent in on themselves. And they have distorted our perception of the world. It's made the whole arc of my life focus on me as the center. And it's made the whole arc of your life be centered around you. And it's made the sole focus of everyone else's life all about them. Which is the recipe for a collision course just waiting to happen. And because of this, we can't lean on our own understanding because our very perception and understanding of the world is misaligned. It's warped. It's been bent by sin. We shouldn't be tr- try to be wise in our own eyes because we cannot trust ourselves. This leads us to the second aspect of the Father's exhortation, which is this. That because we cannot trust ourselves, we should trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Rather than trying to be wise in our own eyes... We should fear the Lord and in all of our ways acknowledge Him. We're not to trust ourselves, but we are to trust in the Lord. And the reason that we can do that is found in our passage this morning over in verses 19 and 20, where we read that the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. The reason that we can trust the Lord with our lives in this world is because he is the one who created it all. 
He imagined it. He designed it. He's the architect of it. He set everything up. It was his wisdom that founded the earth, his understanding that established it all. By his knowledge, it all works. God knows things that we don't know. He understands things that we can't understand. He sees things that we are unable to see. He has an entirely different and more accurate and truer perspective on everything that is happening in this world than we do. You see, the difference between God's perspective on the world and our perspective on the world is like the difference between looking down on a Persian rug from up above and looking up on a Persian rug from down below. From the underside of a Persian rug, nothing makes sense. It's all chaotic and confusing and seems out of order and out of place. Patterns and order aren't discernible. There are loose threads everywhere that seem abandoned. There's stitching that seems out of place. From the underside of a Persian rug, nothing makes sense. And it's not very pretty. But from above a Persian rug, it's an entirely different perspective. From above, there is beauty and there is order and there is symmetry. From above, every stitch is in place. Every thread serves its purpose. And it's all woven together into a beautiful, completed masterpiece. There is a design that is evident from above a Persian carpet that in a million years you'd never be able to discern based on the way it looks from underneath. And it's the same that is true of this life. From God's perspective and from ours. It's why we can't lean on our own understanding. And why we have to lean on His. It's why we can't trust our perception of things or our interpretation of things. But we have to trust His. We see this reality play out in a profound way in our Gospel readings from this morning. In the passage from Luke, James and John, they wanted to call down fire from heaven. To come and consume and destroy the Samaritans who didn't receive Jesus. Their best wisdom in that moment. Using all of their judgment and all of their heart. The best thing that they could come up with was for them to cast judgment and condemnation on the people of Samaria. But Jesus rebuked them for that thinking. And in John chapter 4. As merely one example of many such stories in the scriptures, we see why. For we only read a small portion of that account here of the woman at the well. It's a familiar story, but in it Jesus demonstrated the exact opposite heart towards the people of Samaria. He wanted to bless them, not to curse them. He wanted to heal them, not to harm them. He wanted to save them, not to scorch them. James and John, leaning on their own understanding, got it totally wrong. If they had acted on their own understanding, it would have been disastrous. Instead, they needed to acknowledge the Lord in their ways. 
and trust in Him and what He told them to do. And we do as well. In verses 9 through 12 of our passage, the wise father gives us a couple of apt examples of this. Where in verses 9 through 10, we're told to honor the Lord with our wealth. And in verses 11 through 12, we're told not to despise the discipline of the Lord. These are pertinent examples because there aren't many things we get wrong more often in life than money. And there aren't many things in life that are more confusing to us than the Lord's discipline of those that He loves. These are both areas where we need to surrender our understanding of things to His explanation of things. We need to learn, lean not on our own understanding, but to acknowledge and surrender our ways to Him in these areas of life. Rather than dive into those examples, though, I want to end this morning by sharing with you how this has been incredibly real to me this week. Some of you may know that on Tuesday... Tuesday of this past week, my father suffered a stroke. And I don't understand why. He's incredibly healthy. And not one doctor has been able to give a reason for why this happened. There were very few of the classic stroke warning signs exhibited on the day that it occurred. His doctor checked him out on that day and didn't indicate any concern about his stroke. And now his brain doesn't work properly. And it does not make any sense to me. And if I were to lean on my own understanding of things as I try to process this, And to think about how to move forward, I would be devastated by feelings of guilt that I didn't recognize things and help him sooner. I would be filled with anger and resentment and blame at his doctor who looked at him and didn't send him to a hospital. I would be disillusioned by God. Questioning his goodness and his care for my father and for me. I know this is how I would be feeling because I've been wrestling with these thoughts and feelings all week long. If I leaned on my own understanding of this past week, I would be a wreck, crushed with guilt boiling with anger, doubting the goodness of God. I'd be a mess. But instead of leaning on my own understanding, I am trying to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And I'm trying to acknowledge Him in all of my ways. I'm choosing to believe That God was sovereignly caring for my father on Tuesday. 
the day of his stroke. In the same way that God was sovereignly caring for him on Monday, the day before the stroke. In the same way that God was sovereignly caring for his life the day that he was born and every other day of his life. And that God sovereignly will be caring for his life every day for the rest of his life. I'm choosing to believe that all of the days that were ordained for my dad were written in God's book before one of them ever came to be, including Tuesday. I'm trying to believe that by worrying, I can't add even a single hour to my dad's life. I'm trying to believe that not a sparrow falls to the ground outside of God's care. And that my dad is worth more to God than many sparrows. I'm trying to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. And that God is more than willing. But is wanting to do healing work in our lives. I'm trying to rest in the promise of the ultimate restoration of all things. And the assurance that no matter what happens to my father in the weeks and the months to come. That one day I will see my dad completely restored. I'm trying to trust in the Lord. Because his perspective of all of this is so much more beautiful than my own. I'm trying to trust in him even as I cannot understand. do that though in this situation in any situation we need a new heart I've needed a new heart that trusts in God and not in myself I've needed a heart that loves and that forgives rather than one that accuses and condemns I've needed a heart that prays and that hopes rather than one that strives and that fears I've needed God to write His laws on my heart so that I can understand His ways rather than be confused by my circumstances. I've needed a new heart each moment of the day and all throughout the day for every day of this past week. But isn't this ultimately the promise of the new covenant? The hope that we have in the gospel. That when we place our trust in God and when we cry out to Him for His help, He promises to make us new. To give us the new heart that we need. One that allows us to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. May we all ask God for such a heart, for His glory, and for our good. Amen.